I believe that veterans are the key to unlocking America's next golden age. By empowering and influencing one million veterans to transition well and become leaders in their communities, we can unlock our country's destiny and continue to change the world. My name is Bernard Bergen. Bob Abbott is a former Air Force intelligence officer and linguist. He candidly shares that he's a former lot of things. He currently is a dad, husband, teacher, journalist, angry veteran, bear connoisseur, and foot masseuse, but he doesn't really like feet. You can glean from Bob's insight and comedic timing at TheBobAbbott on Twitter or ComingHomeWell.wordpress.com or keep up with him on Instagram at ComingHomeWell. Let's get started. Thanks again for agreeing to be on the show. And it's very scripted, but you challenged us by choosing to do your questions and answers off the cuff. So I'm very interested I, in to what you teach us. I'm a radio host here in Charlottesville, as well as I've been running the Coming Home Well show for a couple of years. And I also am a uh, master's journalism student. And thank mm-hmm. you, post 9-11 GI Bill, for paying me to be a student. But I'm from the tenant of never prep a guest. I mean, you can massage him a little bit, but never give him the questions that you're going to ask. Because if it's a good guest, then they'll be able to answer on the fly in a way that doesn't sound scripted and is more natural. Okay. Wow. That is definitely my first takeaway. All right. So yeah, you can just stick that one in your pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's your first question. What would you say to your younger self right when you were entering military service? Don't get married. Don't get married. Wow. I know, right? Well, I've since divorced. I went to Afghanistan in 2010, and uh, Jody showed up at my house, or or I guess my then wife showed up at Jody's houses, and everything fell apart. So I'm a little bit jaded on the marriage thing. However, I would recommend that for a lot of folks who are just entering the military, there's it's exciting, it's new, it's different. You don't have to polish your boots anymore, which is great. Mm. And all these emotions tend to coalesce into, I'm starting my new life. That means I need to settle down. And my recommendation is no. I am now 41. Yeah, I'm 41 years old. I got married three years ago. And my wife and I have an amazing life. And I wish that I had waited. I got married when I was 25. And I still wish that I had waited till I was at least mid-30s. There's no rush to get married. And the changes and the challenges that happen to you when you're in the military getting married are to the point where no one could ever predict it, except for our, my chaplain, who's the one guy that said, don't get married. And he was the guy that was marrying us. Wow. But he said, wow. you're 25, she's 21. Your lives are going to completely change. You're still in AIT. I was Air Force, but I'll speak Army speak for you. I was still in AIT and just don't get married at AIT. Don't, and really the military to military marriage is just doomed for failure. Mm. Um, and crazy enough that my advice is not about picking the right job or anything a recruiter or anybody else in the military would say. Mine is more of a, I've been out now for 10 years looking at my past and I've done a lot of reflection over the last few years. And really that if it was meant to be, it could have waited three years. Ah, nice. And I didn't, I waited one year and that I have two amazing children. I would never go back in time and change it because I love my kids. However, For anyone else that's just going into the military, there's going to be a strong urge to settle down and get married within the first year or two years. And if any advice comes out, just wait. Be patient. 
Okay, I like that. Would you have taken that advice? 25, yes, no, why, why not? Probably not, unless I knew it was future Bob telling past Bob. (laughs) If I stepped out of the telephone booth and said, Bob, I'm you in the future. My immediate response would be, dude, where'd you put on the weight? Um, (laughs) And nice beard. But um, then, you know, a lot of people gave me that advice, Hmm. but I didn't take it. I know that my advice is going to fall on deaf ears because it's love and that's what happens. <laughs> it's when everything starts to fall apart is when you remember the advice that was given to you. And I guess that's when it makes it easier to make hard choices. Uh, divorcing with two kids was a very hard choice. All I ever wanted to be in life was a dad and a husband, and that completely fell apart because I went to Afghanistan. Hmm. Um, making that choice was easier because I remembered the advice from 10, 15 years prior. Wow. Okay. Now, to anyone considering serving, when you get to have those conversations, what do you usually cue it up with? Don't join the army. Wow, really? <laughs> really? Hey, love you, Bernard. Lots of love. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that the recruiting stations are in order? It starts with the Air Force, and based on how you do on the ASVAB, if you don't score high enough the Air Force, you go next door to the Navy. And if you go don't get high enough in the Navy. You go to the army where they say, what's your name? Do you have a fingerprint? And then if that doesn't work, you have to go to the Marines where they go, what's your name? You're in. (laughs) That's a joke. That's a joke. I was in the air force, but I was always on an army base working with Marines doing Navy missions. So I'm about as purple joint forces purple as you can get. I I just like a little bit of teasing because us chair force guys get so much crap. When I'm sitting down with somebody who's considering joining the military, first of all, The first thing I want to know is why are they joining? What is Mm -hmm. the purpose? Is their passion, liberty, freedom, defending freedom, you know, the the spiritualistic, very altruistic reasons, because then I'm going to go ahead and just destroy their spirit and tell them Mm -hmm. the reality of it. Mm -hmm. The military, it's a suck job. Trash men and women get better jobs than the military. It's hard. You get in because you think you're going to be defending freedom and liberty around the world And then once you're in, you realize that it's somewhat of a boondoggle and there's a whole lot of mismanagement, fraud, waste, and abuse. But you also get to do really amazing things. My second tour to Afghanistan, I happened to be an IT guy that maintained servers in Kandahar, but I also traveled around and taught people how to use a particular piece of software that could detect the buried bombs before folks would drive over them. I was the head of training for Palantir. And management aside to that company, the software is fantastic, did a great job, and I was able to save soldiers' lives. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. But the first time I was out there, I was teaching forensics and to law enforcement professionals and people that worked at the various prisons and just watching what went on behind the scenes with the detainees and not like negative illegal stuff, but just kind of seeing the culture of the detainees and the Taliban and then seeing the American culture in this clash and realizing we're never going to change their mind. Mm. We're never going to get them to change how they act. And that's very disheartening. So if you go into the military with the understanding that, all right, this is a job first. Yes, you will have the camaraderie and the lifestyle and everything that comes along, which you really don't fully grasp, I believe, until you're a veteran. But while you're in, it's a job. Mm -hmm. And is this the best job that I can choose? And then I also want to talk, you know, if you're getting in just to kill people and break their stuff, Maybe this isn't the right gig because you're going to end up having challenges with the admin side of the military, which, as you and I both know, there's a lot of administration and paperwork in the military. Yeah. But uh, that's normally the conversations I'll have with them. 
but then I'm also, I think a little bit different. I firmly believe that when you hit 18 and graduate from high school, you should not go directly to college. I think you should take two years off, take a few months traveling the world, see other cultures, really decide what you want to do before you go waste money on college. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm just unpacking that. And I think what you closed with was very strong that if you had the time to just see other cultures, learn from others, your perspective from there forward is going to be so different. Exactly. And then you can make more rational choices with a better worldview. And if you make choices with the, I mean, quite frankly, us as Americans, our lives are whitewashed. We don't have the challenges that exist in the world. Uh, We don't really worry about where our water is coming from. We don't really worry about our food. Whereas for most of the rest of the world, that's a major concern. And my experience in that experience of the cultural diversity as well as the language challenges and the language barriers, you get a better idea of, is this what I want to do? Is this really my focus in life? Now, I'm pro-military. I think it's great for people to join the military, but it's also not for everyone. Just Mm -hmm. like not everyone can work for Microsoft. Not everyone can work for a trash company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that. Okay, let's fast forward to transitioning. When I say military transitions, what one word answer would you give? <laughs> How's that? <laughs> well, anyone who's been through it, we understand. <laughs> Here's the part of transition I don't fully understand. When you have to take a class when you get when you're going to get out of the military, I separated in July of 2007. The month before, I was enrolled into the military transition teams, the MTTs class. It was a three-week class on how to, or two-week rather, on how to be a civilian. Mind you, they took five weeks to teach us how to be in the military mm-hmm. at basic training. I mean, and for Army, it's like I don't know, 12 weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. For uh, basic, well. they spend two weeks to teach us how to get out. That's not enough time. And then the guy teaching it is somebody who got out just a couple months before us. Yeah. They don't know what reality is. They haven't even grown their hair out yet. They don't have a beard. If you're in a military transition class with somebody that has short hair and no beard, don't listen to them. Nice. Unless, I, well, I guess if it's a female with no beard, that's okay. But, you know, <laughs> got to try not to be misogynist here. But uh, the military transition system is not what the military, it's not the military's goal. The military's Mm -hmm. goal is to be the final instrument of state and political influence and to kill people and break their stuff. That's our goal. Our goal is not to help military members become civilians. And that's something whenever, because I was an intel officer, I always walked in and go, okay, this person that I'm talking to, what is their objective? What is their angle? What do they want? And the person who's teaching that class, why are they there? Mm. Are they somebody from the outside community that's trying to help veterans get jobs? If so, rock on. Is it somebody from the base that just got out a month ago and is just waiting to get that good govy job on base so that they never have to work mm. again? I wouldn't listen to that individual. Yeah. Oh, and side note, if you ever have these guys help you with a resume and you ever worked intelligence, do not type a resume on any unclassified computer. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a great side note. During your transitions journey, was it more what you experienced that deepened your perspective of how, how to really start reading people from the gatekeepers to what's next? Or was it what you saw so many of your fellow airmen going through as they transitioned? I transitioned very badly. I got out during the Air Force's RIF, the reduction in force back in 2007. They were offering 
as a prior enlisted officer, I got paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And they were offering me over a year's salary as a severance package to get out. I could get out on a Friday and then get back into the reserves full time at the same pay rate. And they would not ask for that year's severance pay back until I retired. So I viewed it as a one year, an an advance, almost $100,000 advance on my retirement uh, 12 years early. And then 12 years ahead, they were only going to ask for that number. It wasn't with, uh, you know, adjusted for inflation. Right. So I did it from a financial motivation. The challenge is that I had been diagnosed with a disease in my ear called, at the time, it was labyrinthitis, but the reservist dra- uh, recruiter dragged his feet. And over that time, somehow, someway, I had a submission to the VA go in, and I was approved for 40% disability, and so the reserves would not take me. Oh, wow. So now I got out. I had no job. 40% is like a $500, $600 a month paycheck, yeah. and I needed work. Ended up down in Tampa, and in 2007, if you remember, was the, when the economy crashed. Yes, yeah. So a week before I arrived in Tampa is when my and other people's contracting jobs were canceled by various contracting organizations. And I spoke five languages, had a top secret clearance. I ended up working at a hot dog plant as the graveyard shift manager because I spoke Spanish and could communicate with the cleaning crew, and I spoke Korean and can communicate with one of their mechanics because nobody else could. Wow. I made less than half of what I had been making in the Air Force. It took a year before I finally got my feet under me, and I'm still paying debt off now, nine years later. From that moment. From from that experience, yeah. My transition was very, very, very bad. Do not think that just because you have a clearance, you know, because I know some folks who listen to this are the, well, I'm smart, I'm tip of the spear because I'm intelligence. No, don't think you're gonna get a job because you're a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. More likely to get a job, the 11 Bravos. The door kickers, because every police agency is hiring. Yeah. And had I been willing to go and and work for the, even the local, I was in a Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo, Texas, middle of West Texas, terrible place. If you've never been there, don't go. But the local police force would have hired me immediately had I chosen to stay. But my ego was too big Hmm. because I've been told so many years in the military how special I was. When you get kicked out of the military, you realize you're not a snowflake. It's hard. It's very hard to get a job. And um, I don't even know what your original question was. No, no, that's, <laughs> this, this is fine. What did the road back from that moment, that decision take as far as decisions, moving, career choices? What did that look like? We don't have time. It, <laughs> it, it was absolute insanity. Instead, I think the question you probably want to ask is what was the integral part? or the Delta of that road back. And it was find a mentor. Okay. Find someone who has walked through the minefield ahead of you and then follow in their footsteps. If they wear size eight shoes and you wear size 11 shoes, squeeze your feet into size eight boots and do precisely what they did. Oh, wow. I did not want to listen to my mentor. He was a retired colonel. He worked for one of the contracting companies, very senior executive, and in his mid-60s. I was a 30 three, I think I was 33, 33 year old smart ass that knew everything in multiple languages. Mm. And I had a hard time listening to him. I will tell you that I was out walking my dog in November. I was living in an RV behind a church because I couldn't afford rent at the house anymore. I had a house I was still trying to sell in San Angelo, but the market had crashed and I was just wasting money in that sinkhole. 
And I got a phone call while walking my dog, who's actually sitting right next to me. And it was a guy up here in Charlottesville, Virginia, some guy named Tim. Hey, I work for Engic and I'm looking at your resume and I'd love to hire you. I never submitted my resume to them. Hmm. I don't know how they got my resume. The only thing I can think is that it was my mentor because he passed my resume around all through the contracting organizations with an email. So mentor, it's, it really is who you know. It's not what you know. Not to take over the world. I mean, if, if you're going to take over the world like Elon Musk, you have to know stuff. <laughs> to stabilize your life, you need to know people. You need to have connections. And you don't need to enter into those connections with, what can I get out of this person? You need to enter in that connection with, I need help. Will you help me? Wow. That's as clear as it gets. Okay, we're going to shift just a bit. Tell us about your work now. And I'd like it if you touch on <laughs> retired. You know, coming home and just that journey as well. Right. Primarily, my profession is I'm a fully disabled vet. The ear disease has progressed mm. to the point where my right ear is dead. It jumped over to my left. And um, I have vertigo and dizziness and all this other nonsense. So I'm 100% totally and permanently disabled. However, I don't like that. I have had 45 different jobs in 30 years. And I don't like not having a job. So I am busier now in retirement than I was before ever. Mostly what I do now is I'm a host. I host a radio show. I host a web show. I write for several different journalism entries online, none of which you've ever heard of. However, I, if I can plug, can I plug? I love yeah, absolutely. I am in the process of creating the brand of the Bob Abbott. Because there's some other guy out there who had the audacity of taking my name, Bob Abbott. <laughs> So I now have to be the Bob Abbott on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything else. Mm -hmm. And um, I have had so many weird jobs and so many weird experiences that I'm in the process of the one thing people have always told me is I'm a great teacher because I'm able to take extremely complex concepts and break them down to where a five-year-old can understand it, wow. which worked great when I was teaching Air Force intelligence people because they act like five-year-olds, <laughs> myself included. But by doing that, I've went ahead with a show called Coming Home Well. The purpose of Coming Home Well is to educate a civilian audience about how us military and how us veterans think, because we think different. I don't know what the rating is of this podcast, so I'm keeping everything PG, but we're pretty effed up in the head at times. We also think amazingly, and we're, I would hire a veteran in a heartbeat because I know how veterans think. And so the purpose of this show is when we come back from war, we're not right. And it's not because of necessarily what we experienced at war. It's from the transition from the battlefield downrange back to this very weird culture we have here in America. We're not community oriented. We're not family oriented. Everyone here is the Lone Ranger. And that's terrible mm -hmm. because we end up isolating ourselves and we end up killing ourselves at 20 to 21 people per day committing suicide in the veteran population. And that's a number I don't like. And I was almost one of those statistics. I came back in 2010. I'd been blown up by a VBID. Mm. and divorced by my wife in the same week. That was a bad week. <laughs> wow. So when I came back, I wasn't good. And I spent all of 2011 drunk. Finally, at the end of the year, cleaned my act up, went to Afghanistan again in 2012 because I had to face my demons and because they offered me a ton of money to go. I came back better that time because I knew better. Mm. I knew what I was coming back to. But in talking with friends, veteran friends, we realized that there's a need. So the show is unique in that it's hosted by veterans. Wow. And we're talking to civilians. 
in most shows are civilians to civilians or vet to vet. So you have all these TLAs, these three-letter acronyms. You can stick that one in your hip pocket too. Um, <laughs> but we have all these three-letter acronyms in the military that civilians don't understand. Civilians don't understand what to do when they see a veteran sitting at a bar quietly hunched over a beer with another beer sitting next to him and a little note card that has a person's name and a birth date mm-hmm. and a KIA date. Mm-hmm. Action. What do you do? And, you know, first thing is don't run up behind them and slap them on the back. That's probably the worst <laughs> thing you can do. Um, oh, yeah. But we talk about this on the show. And I guess, in a sense, I'm happy that I'm broken because as much as I despise being on the disabled roster, I'm also very happy that it affords me the opportunity to pursue a more altruistic nonprofit like coming home well mm-hmm. and to help veterans, to help reduce those numbers, to help raise awareness. This little town of Charlottesville has 50,000 people in it. And what Charlottesville doesn't understand is five to 10,000 people in the area are somehow connected to the military because we have three military bases in town that nobody knows about. Mm. So if 20% of the town is somehow associated with the military, then the town needs to learn more about the military. That's what I'm trying to do. I have a various bunch of video stuff that I do online on YouTube, the Bob Abbott, of course, uh, in trying to educate folks, whether it be homeschool parents or whether it be uh, about military veteran issues or whether it be just about why you should not drive your farm use car down a food line <laughs> which was yesterday. It's entertaining what I do right now. It's also incredibly frustrating because I live off a disability income. I'm not able to do everything that I want to do. Okay. Now, if listeners wanted to follow your show and support your work. Is there a way that they could do that from your website or connecting with you on Twitter, Instagram, and the other places you mentioned? Yes. All right. Two questions there. So we'll talk about the follow first. You can follow the coming home well program on, and it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at it's at coming home well. And the purpose here is to help veterans and military members come home well. So it's coming home well. And then, uh, Email is cominghomewell at gmail.com. And then my website is cominghomewell.com. Okay. Uh, for me personally, because I do more things besides coming home well, it's the Bob Abbott on everything. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that. Which is interesting that you found me on Twitter via the Bob Abbott and not coming home well. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. the Bob Abbott one is a little bit funnier. The coming home well is a little bit more serious. So I'm glad so I found you. Throw, throw a little your uh, comedic timing was what really attracted our team to what your message was. And we tried to just feature veterans who bring a breath of fresh air to the community and remind us that, hey, we're not all stuffy. We're not all looking for the next battle. And I think as you just shared about coming home well, I see why your comedy, your humor comes across so connecting yet truthful. When I first enlisted, I was a linguist. This is probably the great, one of the greatest takeaways I've ever had in my life. I was taught in Korean class that the whole purpose of being a linguist, all communication has three components, a sender, a receiver, and a message. There can be an error in communication between any of those three objects, but only between those three objects. It can be the message itself traveling through the airwaves. It could be the sender. It could be the receiver. This is really significant with other languages. For example, the Chevy Nova, that car from the 70s, Great car. It didn't explode when you rear-ended it like Ford Pinto, but (laughs) it did not sell well down in Latin America because Nova in Spanish means no go, no va. (laughs) So the sender 
and the message was great, but the receiver spoke a different language. Right. So who made the error? The error was in the sender. They needed to send a different message to the receiver. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because, yes, I do acting. Uh, I do, like, local commercials and um, stuff just because I have a huge ego. That was a joke. But I like doing goofy crap because it entertains people. Once you get somebody smiling, you can tell them anything and they'll believe it. Hmm. Now, you can use that for good or you can use that for evil. <laughs> I choose to use that for good. I'll crack jokes in order to gain people's attention and then throw a message in there that at that point, the receiver is tuned into my frequency and ready to receive the message. Too many people, especially on social media, are just on full blast all the time and people don't care. I think it was a John Maxwell quote that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Unless you can connect and get the receiver to tune into your message, they're never going to hear it. Doesn't matter how well crafted it is, the receiver has to be ready. For instance, at the very beginning, I talked about marriage. Most of the young troops, it's going to fall on deaf ears. They are not tuned into me on that. I'm just an old guy with a beard. You know, who the hell am I? Well, I'm a guy that walked through that minefield to the tune of about $45,000. Um, so, yes, on the, the Bob Abbott, I'm much more comedic because I like to have fun. And mm -hmm. really, all of us vets, we're about five degrees off true north. In how we are. I mean, we get, you got to be a little crazy to go stand up there and sign that line and then do all the stuff that they did to us in the first year. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then you do it to other people later on in our careers. And I don't think that's a negative. I think it proves that we're willing to overcome insurmountable odds and view it from a different perspective than most. We are very adept at looking outside the box. Mm -hmm. And for your applications, when employers are looking at veterans, they're afraid of PTSD, which, by the way, is less than 13% of the entire post-9-11 group. But they're afraid of, you know, is this guy going to explode on me with PTSD? No. What you need to look at is that, yeah, 13% of troops have PTSD, but 100% of troops know how to think outside the box and, and solve problems creatively. Yeah. So how do you want to gamble? Right. Do you want right. the 100% bet or the 13% bet? It yeah. seems pretty simple to me. Um, I also need to finish on the following thing. They can follow Coming Home Well or The Bob Abbott on everything. I'm starting up an email list from The Bob Abbott, just like a weekly digest of um, interesting things to make you think, continue you thinking differently. I don't want to call it like a brain improvement thing. It's just, I think being five degrees off true north is good. <laughs> uh, and then if anyone does want to support us, because again, it is all nonprofit and volunteer. They can go to cominghomewell.com. There's a little donate button on there that goes to PayPal. Then I also have a Patreon personally. It's patreon.com slash dbobabbitt. Great, great. And if you are as impressed with not just Bob's stories, but the way he trains and communicates with humor, you know, I challenge you to connect with him, sign up for his email list, or even connect with him on Patreon so that you can follow his work and be a part of his community. Now, Bob, if you had one last piece of guidance or wisdom for listeners, veterans or civilians, what would that be and why? Oh, I'll keep this one short. I have four cardinal rules in life that I've had for over 20 years, and they never steered me well. Um, the two very quick, easy ones, never mess with anybody's money, never mess with anybody's spouse. But then the other two are, are and then uh, never pass any negative to the folks who work for you, only pass challenges up to your superiors. But the fourth one, is really the important one. And that is never do anything for the first time without talking to somebody who has. Mm. Doesn't matter if it's buying a house, buying a car, getting married, enlisting in the military, getting out of the military, 
hiring on with a contract company. If you are going to go out there blind, people are going to take advantage of you. doesn't matter how smart you are. I mean, I'm pretty freaking smart. At least the ASVAB told me I was. <laughs> They're like, no, you're not allowed in the Army. Oh, that's a second Army joke, Bernard. I like the book. <laughs> but as smart as I am, I was living in an RV with my two kids and a dog and a wife behind a church. How smart is that? Because I did a bunch of things and made a bunch of choices and didn't ask for anyone's advice. And that was stupid. And it hurt my family. And it hurt my kids. And my dog's forgiven me. <laughs> <laughs> Never do anything for the first time without checking with somebody who's done it before you. That's probably the most important thing I've ever been told in life. Wow. I speechless. I think all four are very well received, but as you mentioned, that last one just really touches on your highlight of mentorship, your highlight of being humble enough to ask. Because yes, we're highly trained, we're highly skilled, um, not as all intelligent as you. What was it, five languages or six? Yeah, so intelligent <laughs> I am. I ended up at a hot dog plant. I mean, now mind you, while working at the hot dog plant, oh my God, I have such a huge respect for line workers in processing and production plants. Mm. I mean, I'm in awe of them. And I busted my butt to make sure that every other person had it better than I did wow. because they deserved it a lot more than I did. You mentioned the mentorship thing. A lot of folks listening to this won't know where to get started. How do you find a mentor? Where do you go? Well, you can email me, but you know, I'll be like, I'm just going to tell you this. Go to Barnes & Noble, go to Amazon, and order a John Maxwell book. Mm. He is the expert on leadership. I don't care what book you order. My recommendation is the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership because that's probably his most well-known. But any of his, like Life Matters, any of them will get you started on the road because you won't find a mentor unless you start preparing the mental field in your brain to receive the seed of a mentor. Yeah. yeah. You won't get a mentor until you're ready. Wow. Yeah, I think our listeners are really going to find your content valuable and just your delivery style. You know, it's practical. It's in your face. It's up front. But at the end of the day, you know, you really impart wisdom in a non-threatening way that wants everyone to continue down that road of learning more. And I think, you know, as we build our platform, anything we can help you do to build your platform, you just reach out, let us know, and we'll definitely, you know, uh, do our part. Appreciate that. I am available for speaking engagements for a low, low cost of $75,000 um, <laughs> per hour. But no, if somebody does want me to come out and speak to the organization, their group, if it's two people, if it's 2,000 people, I used to brief the head of the NSA, Dernza, director of NSA. I briefed him for a year, and this was as an E4, as a senior airman, because I was comfortable. I was raised around colonels and generals and admirals in this little – I lived in San Jose at the time, and I have no issues in if somebody wants to pay coming home well, the nonprofit – Coming home well would ship me out wherever uh, for speaking. I'm not saying that to try to plug my – I don't necessarily like flying or going on speaking engagements. But if someone finds it helpful, then I'll help because that's really – my life is not very hard right now, and I feel like I have to give back. Nice. So I'm happy to help whomever, even if, it's, if there's an E1, some E-nothing out there wants to send a message to me on Twitter, happy to answer. If somebody who's a veteran that's thinking about um, – Ending it, send me an email, send me a note on Twitter, and I'll probably send you my phone number, and you can text me. Happy to talk. If there's any way I can help folks not make the mistakes 
the stupid, stupid mistakes I've made, then by all means, reach out. And I'm more than happy to help. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Not only for being flexible with us, but also just being as transparent as you've been. And I think you helped us tell a very unique story of transition, but you really tied in mentorship and community in a way that I know that veterans, service members, even civilian audiences won't be able to ignore. So thank you again, Bob. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And thank you for what you guys are doing, because you really have a great mission and helping military members as they transition to veteran status get jobs. Jobs are the most important things that you can have when you get out of the military, that sense of stability and security. And this is the mission that you've taken on. And so thank you, Bernard, and to the rest of your team for doing that, because quite frankly, I wish you were around 10 years ago. And I wish I had heard this podcast 10 years ago, not with my voice necessarily on it, but to not make the mistakes that I made. And you were helping folks not make those mistakes. So kudos to you and your mission. And likewise, uh, can't wait for you to tell me the link for this podcast so I can put it on on blast to my 17 billion followers. Or will do. And uh, thank you again. That's including Venus and Mars. <laughs> thank you, Bernard. You take care. All right. Take care, Bob. Cheers. 